Okay, so in the second part of this podcast, I want to focus on allergy medications as well as medications for like the common cold and coughs. So let's start with allergies. We know that there's lots of different types of allergies. There can be like environmental allergies, like seasonal allergies that could even vary based upon our geographical location. What we have in New Mexico could be very different than what we have in North Carolina, than even in other parts of the world. Um, And those allergens that are um, environmental don't necessarily have to be from say the outside. They could be things like inside the home, like pet dander um, is is a common one. Um, so we talk about allergies, we talk about treating them with antihistamines. And so histamines naturally exist within the body and can cause several different types of bodily functions, but one of which is vessel dilation, um, and, and an inflammatory type response. And so we get, you know, the runny nose or the itchy, watery eyes, the sneezing, um, sometimes that, that upper respiratory kind of irritation and stuff. Um, and so we want to use an antihistamine to help block the histamine um, from binding to cells to cause these irritations. So antihistamines block histamine receptors. And we have first versus second generation antihistamines. And so first generation antihistamines is like your Benadryl. Um, and they, the biggest thing that we see with these with these first generation antihistamines is this sedation effect. It makes people drowsy and sleepy and it can vary significantly. Some people can take it and they're still pretty functional. They might be a little tired. Other people can take it and it just knocks them flat on their, on their butt and they are out for the rest of the day, for example. Um, another side of it too, there is a very small amount of the population that actually has quite the opposite effect. They actually get a stimulant effect from, from these first generation antihistamines. And again, this isn't common, but it is known and it is documented to be done. Um, these first generation antihistamines have, um, a a relatively short activation length in the body of about four to six hours. Uh, but they do have a quick onset. So they, they start to act relatively quickly. Um, our second generations are more of those newer antihistamines that we see. It could be things like Allegra, Zyrtec, Claritin, um, Zizel, so on and so forth. Or not Zizel, um, Claritin, Allegra, um, and Zyrtec. Uh, these don't traditionally have a sedation effect. There is, again, a very small amount of people who do have some kind of drowsiness effect from it, but it's not common and it's usually much more mild than what we'd see with the first generations. Um, and these are have a much longer effect, 12 to 24 hours usually. So you only have to take them once, you once maybe twice a day. Um, sometimes, though, these second generations also have a cumulative effect in the system. They need to be taken over the course of amount of time, sometimes up to a week to two weeks before we really start to get the, the effects, the positive effects of these second generation antihistamines. The other thing I'd like to point out with these second generation histamines is that sometimes you can, or a lot of times you can find these in combination with other medications. So you might see something like Claritin D or Allegra D. These, the D in this case refers to a decongestant. So it's got that second medication in it. So we've got to be cognizant about that for a couple different reasons. One, we want to make sure that a patient doesn't have an allergy to any of these decongestants. And two, that they're not taking another medication that also contains a decongestant and they may not realize it. So they could be accidentally overdosing on some of these medications. Um, We also want to be cognizant about referring patients to take like a Claritin D or an Allegra D 
if they've got certain cardiac uh, pathologies. So if they're hypertensive, I don't want to give them a decongestant as well because it's a stimulant. And so now we've got a patient who's already hypertensive and now we're giving them a stimulant, which is just going to raise the blood pressure even more. So we really want to take a, take a look at what kind of using. There are a few decongestants out there that do have a non-stimulus effect. Generally speaking, they're not as well... Um, they're, they're not as good at controlling symptoms as the, the stimulant versions of it, but they are out there. Um, and then the other one that we might see are the steroidal nasal sprays, like your Flonase, for example. Um, and these are really good for patients if they really just have that kind of nasal type of, of, uh, of symptomology, like the congestion, nasal congestion, or rhinorrhea, sneezing, rhinitis. Um, because that those steroidal nasal sprays stay in the local nasal tissues, we don't really see a lot of the systemic steroidal effects with it. Um, Long-term use, though, we can see septal perforation where a hole actually starts to form in the septum. But I mean, we've got to talk about some, some very, very, very chronic long-term users of this kind of stuff to see that. But it is, but it is a, uh, a side effect. Now, as far as kind of traditional athletic training settings go and what do I carry in my kit, I like to carry both first and second generation antihistamines with me. Um, reason being is, let's say I've got, um, you know, allergies can happen at anywhere at any time for no reason at all. Again, what we are used to experiencing in New Mexico may not be the same allergens that we have when we go, when we travel. And so, Someone who may have never had allergies before now all of a sudden is going to have allergies in a new location. And so I've got to have medication to treat that. So again, I want to have both my first and second generation antihistamines on hand because they work in different ways and have different side effects. A person might respond to one better than the other. If I'm having someone that's actually having a type of allergic response where we're kind of flirting with the idea of maybe even like an anaphylaxis type of idea, if they're still able to consume an oral medication, I'm going to give them both a first and a second generation antihistamine. Um, again, they work on different receptors. They work in different ways. So we're kind of hitting the histamine response from two different directions. So I always like to keep a Benadryl or a generic Benadryl as my first generation. And then my second generation, I like to stick to Claritin or a generic of Claritin, um, Loratadine. The reason being I like Claritin as opposed to Zyrtec or Allegra is because Claritin works usually on the first dose and usually within an hour of being taken. Whereas Zyrtec, for example, can take sometimes up to two weeks before it actually starts to kick in and we start to get an effect. So Claritin, Benadryl in my kit, I know where it's at um, just in case I, I have that kind of reaction. All right, <clears throat> switching over to like coughs and colds. Again, we've kind of already talked a little bit about this in previous classes, but most of the time we're not dealing with bacterial-based infections of the respiratory of the upper respiratory system. We're talking about uh, upper respiratory infections. We're talking about viral-based pathogens. Um, now, it can sometimes be very difficult to differentiate between allergies and infections. So we've got to really discriminate with our um, with our questioning and our history to really try to get down between allergies versus some kind of infection like a viral illness. All right, <clears throat> decongestants. What these aim to do is to decrease upper airway congestions, including the ears and the sinuses, the facial sinuses. 
Um, a common complaint that patients will have with these decongestants is that they quote unquote feel like it's drying them out. Um, so we want to make sure that they're staying hydrated while they're taking these decongestants. These are typically acting on those alpha-1 agonist receptor sites, which is going to promote that vasoconstriction, which thus in return promotes that drying effect. Some of the adverse effects that we see with these decongestants, uh, headache, dizziness, nausea, dry mouth, dry nose, uh, even a nervousness because of that stimulant effect. Um, there's also something called the rebound effect, which we can get. And this is where we have prolonged use of these, of these decongestants where we're having this engorgement of mucosa um, occurring that kind of recreates this stuffy sensation. So while we're trying to dry them out, try to dry them out, try to dry them out, and then the body will do this rebounding effect of kind of producing more mucosa as a way to combat the drying outness. Um, some examples of these decongestants Sudafed is a common one. Afrin is a common one that just targets the nasal passages. Um, and Visine is actually a decongestant from a, an ocular perspective, from an otic perspective. Um, again, we could use some of these um, antihistamines too to help treat some of these upper respiratory infections because if some of the irritants in the air might be contributing, uh, we might want to help filter them out. We're also getting that histaminic response with even a cough or a cold type of a deal. So that antihistamine can help stop that histaminic response. Um, now, the research is kind of up in the air as far as does this really work and how well and to what extent, so on and so forth. But by and large, these are fairly safe drugs and it can't hurt um, so long as we kind of rule out anything like allergens and things like that to the antihistamine medications. And I'm talking a little bit more about those first generation versus second generation antihistamines, but either one's fair game. We've already kind of talked about Claritin and how quickly that can act as well. All right, the third type of medication that we commonly see with coughs and colds are expectorants. Um, what these try to do is just promote the removal of that mucus buildup. They're, you'll see them a lot of times in cough syrups but they're not cough suppressants. Those are our antitussives. We're talking about expectorants. So they try to dry out the, uh, the cough by, by um, drying out the mucus, essentially. So like guaifonacin is an example of a common expectorant we've seen over the counters. All right, antitussives. These are those cough suppressants. And we really only want to make sure that we're using these for short periods of time, only for as long as we need to use them, because they can cause throat irritation with long-term use. Um, dextromethorphan, uh, is an example of one of these antitussives. It's a local, um, it, it, it operates by, by influencing localized tissues in the throat. Um, and examples of these could be like, uh, codeine or hydrocodone at the, at the prescription level. But again, remember these are scheduled drugs. They do have addictive properties, so we don't want to use them too often. Um, Tessalon. Uh, maybe you've heard of Tessalon pearls. These have more of a central mechanism suppressant, like on the central nervous system. Um, we don't really know or fully understand exactly how these Tessalon pearls actually act, um, but they are a great option depending on what kind of um, athlete we've got going on. So example, for example, if we've got an athlete who needs to be steadied, like a rifle shooter, for example, maybe we want to use some of these more centralized suppressants. Um, to calm the cough down. But again, remember that some of these medications could be considered performance enhancers. So we've got to be cognizant about who we're prescribing them to and that we're following all the rules because we don't want someone to 
essentially accidentally po- test positive on a drug test um, just because of a medication that we, we encouraged. <laughs>